Hello and welcome back to the God-Led Mystics podcast. I am your guide and host, Reverend Rose, and I am honored to be uploading and sharing this interview that I had the pleasure of doing. In today's episode, I interviewed Lisa of the Temple of Divine Radiance. If you've been around in the last year, you may have recognized the accreditation I've given to Lisa in various classes that I've held. Lisa is taking on such a big calling from the goddess and is supporting the collective consciousness in remembering the goddess of the Abrahamic traditions. It was such a pleasure to host this interview and have Lisa on here, Um, of course, because we got to (laughs) talk about our qualms with the Bible and the patriarchy and really got to explore what it was like to awaken to something deeper than has been taught to us in the church. So, without further ado, I want to invite you into this week's episode, and I truly hope you feel the goddess moving through as you listen. As always, if you enjoy this podcast, if you enjoy these interviews, please consider subscribing uh, to the podcast or if you're on Substack, to my Substack, where a lot of my work lives. And consider joining the movement with those that are doing this work. In love and reverence, here she is. May these be the rooted earth from which all of my actions flow. Amen. Holy Spirit within me, living in wholeness, moving in joy and love, I surrender to your will. Bring the radiance of your light into my heart and mind. Merge with me to manifest your will upon the earth. Make me a conduit of your infinite knowledge. Amen. Hello and welcome back to the God-Led Mystics Podcast. I am your guide and host, Reverend Rose, and I am honored to be uploading and sharing this interview that I had the pleasure of doing. In today's episode, I interviewed Lisa of the Temple of Divine Radiance. If you've been around in the last year, you may have recognized the accreditation I've given to Lisa in various classes that I've held. Lisa is taking on such a big calling from the goddess and is supporting the collective consciousness in remembering the goddess of the Abrahamic traditions. It was such a pleasure to host this interview and have Lisa on here, Um, of course, because we got to (laughs) talk about our qualms with the Bible and the patriarchy and really got to explore what it was like to awaken to something deeper than has been taught to us in the church. So without further ado, I want to invite you into 
this week's episode and I truly hope you feel the goddess moving through as you listen. As always, if you enjoy this podcast, if you enjoy these interviews, please consider subscribing uh, to the podcast or if you're on Substack, to my Substack where a lot of my work lives. And consider joining the movement with those that are doing this work. In love and reverence, here she is. Hello, Lisa. It's such a pleasure to have you here. Hello. It's so wonderful to be with you as well, Alexis. What a beautiful opportunity. Thank you. I would love if you could introduce yourself and answer the million dollar question. What does God mean to you? <laughs> oh my goodness. Wow. You're going to go right in deep. Not only do oh, I yes. have to try to define who I am, but also God. Okay, here we go. We'll just, oh, we'll just wade into the deep waters. Um, I am Lisa Moria Chenhita, and I am a writer, I'm an artist, I'm a coach, and I also call myself a kadosha, which means a holy woman, or it's a very, very old word for priestess, kind of a Mesopotamian priestess, but it is a word that you will find in different forms in the Hebrew Bible. Um, so it's a biblical word for priestess, even though it is has not really been accepted for the last few millennia in religious circles. Um, but I like to reclaim that term. And I run a small temple called Temple of Divine Radiance. It's all online. I live in Dubai, but people come from all over the world to events. And the goal of this space is really to help us reclaim goddess, who she is and what she means, how we embody her inside the Abrahamic traditions. She's always been there, even though it sound, it may sound oxymoronic to say goddess and Abrahamic traditions, they don't go together, but really they do. We just have not been taught how to see it that way. And so re-seeing, remembering, re-embodying, this is the work of the temple. In terms of how, what God means to me personally, a term that I've started to use a lot recently, which isn't very scientific, is beingness. Like just that deep, essential, pure frequency of beingness at the center of the cosmos. And also the that sense of beingness that's available in between every breath that I take and in every breath that I take. And I do believe that in a personal relationship with that beingness, it's conscious, it's organic, just the way that we've been taught, you know, to pray as if you're praying to a person or to a sentient entity. I do believe in that. And I still have that relationship with God, even though I don't necessarily have a strictly religious relationship with God, but definitely more and more, the older I get, I'm coming to appreciate just the identification of God or goddess with different aspects of beingness at their very highest level. Hmm. Beautifully stated. <laughs> I feel like that's the perfect emanation of the goddess. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah, pure frequency, pure vibration. Mm -hmm. I love that about her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. Um, well, I'd love to just start at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. I would love if you could tell us your story. 
Absolutely. It's been, I suppose everybody says this, but it's been a crazy one so far. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Um, In a beautiful way. Like it just, like I look back and I can't even imagine, would have never imagined that any of these things would happen. But nonetheless, I was born in a Christian household, very Christian, Midwest Baptist. So kind of evangelical, but stricter even than most evangelical churches I encounter today in terms of lifestyle. Um, very fundamentalist, even the term would be used. Um, so it was a very, it, it was probably at the strongest in terms of a movement in like the 1970s and 80s. So right when I was being, you know, being born, my parents were converts into that church. So they were not even, that was not something they'd been born into. They both had come from very nominally Catholic backgrounds, and then they caught the fervor of this more Bible-based, that's going to be important later, Bible-based, text-oriented, very literal, like, you know, story-oriented kind of Christianity, and I grew up in that. I was homeschooled, and my parents were those parents. They were the homeschool Christian parents. Um, I didn't, didn't really have much exposure to television as a child or popular culture. I was very imaginative, always dreaming, always wanting to visit the past. You know, I loved history, it was my favorite subject in school. So my mom kind of indulged that and let me spend a lot of time on it because she knew that I loved it. And he, always ancient history, like the really, really old stuff. After about 1500, I was like, ah, that's not even history anymore. Okay, whatever. You know, <laughs> and, I need to, and, and those that, that love, that passion for the past and also for God and spirituality and even for like, pageantry and dressing up and ritual like I love costumes and kind of a lot of the things that go along with with have gone along with traditional feminine ritual practice for you know many millennia stones and things I collected shells and things from nature and I realize now there was like this devotional aspect of myself that was wanting to express like altar building for example or being in like a feminine devotional kind of embodiment or um gathering people and leading a ceremony or something like that but there wasn't language for that in the tradition that i grew up in so that was just oh lisa's artistic or she's imaginative or whatever um as a teenager and young adult like i was really very devoted to my faith path in that community i served in mission work abroad mostly in i wasn't really into converting people that just always felt weird to me so i was much more in like working with um orphans like i worked with orphans in nepal i also worked with like women's literacy there i traveled in china and tibet as a very young woman like i did a lot of really interesting travel abroad so there was also this early theme of traveling and going. And then I went to college at a Baptist college and ended up marrying a Baptist preacher's son from Minnesota. And I thought I had arrived in life because to be the wife of a man who was supposed to go into ministry was like the highest calling in that very traditional world. And I was going to have all of these kids and we were going to have a church somewhere and that whole deal. Um, And it did not materialize for various reasons, our lives went another way. And my husband ended up in a PhD program. I almost went for a PhD and then ended up just working. And like somehow this very targeted plan that I had had to spend my life in service dissolved. And I found myself just living a normal kind of American middle-class Midwestern life. It was 
lovely in many ways. I did continue to grow my creative gifts and things, but there was something that was really missing. And even during our marriage, my husband and I, my first husband, um, we went to all these different churches and and we're kind of searching for like something where there, there was something that was missing and we were searching for that something and we never really found it together mm-hmm. um but long story short my husband walked in one day when we've been married seven seven some years and said um i don't love you i never loved you this isn't working for me and i want a divorce and Knowing what I know now, like at the time, I was both utterly shocked and also very literal. And I was like, well, if that's how you feel, like I always had the psychology of I I only wanted people in my space who really wanted to be there. So as Mm -hmm. devastating as it was, there was also this sense of, well, if you don't want to be here, then you shouldn't be here. Like Mm -hmm. just kind of that immediate release also didn't mean that we didn't, you know, still go through a lot of challenges during our divorce. But nonetheless, I almost immediately had this weird sense of calm that this was kind of an answer to all those questions. Like I was being given permission to step outside of the boxes I had always lived in because Mm -hmm. he had been one of the people that was kind of keeping me in that box or that I allowed to keep me in that box. And when that relationship was gone and then like divorce is a huge deal in that community. So then all that Mm -hmm. shock went down and then suddenly it was like, well, all these people are shocked and offended and weirded out and husband is gone and it's just me and I lost almost everything like we owned a 127 year old house together. I mean just everything in my life kind of just was gone almost overnight within six months. And um, I realized that I was being taken down to ground zero and I didn't know where it was going to take me, but mm-hmm. I had this faith and conviction that there were going to be answers so. Long story short, um, a few months after my husband left, before the divorce was final, I had this crazy, like what I call the six day heart attack. It was the first experience I ever had of like a massive chakra opening or any kind of energy opening in my body. And at the end of that time, I was like literally lying on the floor. Like I had this understanding that it wasn't an actual physical problem. Like I did not need to go to the hospital. And if I did, they would tell me there was nothing wrong with me. But I I almost had this just this calm that I just needed to wait it out. And the end of these six days, I just remember like lying on a rug in my room and shouting, just take me now. If you, you know, like, 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 I can't, I don't know what's going on. I can't live with this. I know this isn't physical, but either it goes away or just end this because everything is already crap anyway, you know? And it was like the entire everything in the world, the world stopped spinning and everything got really quiet in that moment. And like all the pain went away. And in that empty space, there was this little voice that came from somewhere within myself in this deep place. I had never heard it before. It wasn't even really audible, but it was in my consciousness that said, you do not know how to receive love. And I understood that that was like, this was the the rubric for everything that would follow. Like, this is the explanation. Congratulations. Now you understand. Now we're going to do something about this type of a thing. So I I ended up on this journey where I downsized whatever I had left, which wasn't a lot, into a suitcase and left Milwaukee, which is where I've been living for many years, and started to travel and started to do a lot of different kinds of healing. I went through a lot of different um, just kind of implosions of like my body systems where there had been a lot of trauma and stuff that was stored. All of that just started to get let out. I started to have to explore natural healing because I didn't have money to go to a doctor, which turned out to be a blessing later in disguise. 
um, yoga and spirituality. And of course, I encountered goddess things on this journey. And I encountered women who were doing Magdalene priestess work. So they were looking at the Christian Testament and seeing these women in different ways and then looking at Egyptian you know, history and goddess traditions and kind of seeing the connections and all of this different stuff. And I was very attracted to it, but it freaked me out. Like this was the upper edge, the far outer edge of my solar system in terms of what I was comfortable with. And um, I ended up coming to Dubai at the end of the time that I was traveling through a kind of a miraculous set of circumstances. I ended up settling here, but I was still fighting this like i was doing all of this edgy work and i had a lot of transformation but i was fighting the goddess thing still Mm -hmm. so when i came to dubai i got involved with a much less conservative church here when i first came because i thought where am i going to meet people um i need community i didn't really know if that was where i needed to be and i actually even had this idea that i wanted to go to a synagogue but they were like underground and illegal at that time so i was like maybe they don't want me showing up at one of those so i went to a church and i met my now husband there he's like an incredible gift in my life he was born and raised in dubai so definitely i had to come here to meet him um but it was in the like sort of warp and weft of being involved in the, in a church community again and realizing that like oh now i've moved so far outside of this box that it doesn't really fit anymore and also encountering more people who are doing the Magdalene work, but also starting to encounter Jewish women who were doing work with what Christians would call the Old Testament or Jews would call the Hebrew Bible. That really started to like activate something deep in me where when I saw that people from Jewish backgrounds, which I perceived to potentially be even more conservative than mine, depending on mm-hmm. the, the, the Jew and their background, we're seeing goddess and doing really amazing goddess things with the Hebrew Bible, something about that clicked for me in a way that the other work like activated me, but I'm like, it's just, it wasn't fully mine somehow. And then over here, people were talking about Miriam and Deborah and Esther and like all these really interesting women from the Hebrew Bible and re-seeing them as priestesses and re-seeing goddess in these texts. And that just fed my soul that thing that I had been looking for, like I realized, and it was, I remember the first time I actually read a book about goddess in the Hebrew Bible, like I stayed up all night reading because I was so shocked that this was a thing. And it still took me until now, the last couple of years to unspool all the resistance. I had work I needed to do with healing my relationship with the eternal masculine for sure, with the masculine aspects of God as well. But then also beginning to reweave, repair, reweave, recede goddess and invite her into my practice, into my life. And to know that I can chant out of the Bible or teach a story that I've always loved about some woman, Sarah, for example, the matriarch in Genesis, and know that like goddess is part of that story is the most life affirming thing that I've found. So over the last few years, I've just been exploring that teaching iterations of it as I have experienced it because sometimes you have to teach in order to know mm-hmm. and whatever I've been guided to put out I have and as part of that um the temple of divine radiance came to be as kind of a container to hold all of these things so that's a bit of the story <laughs> that's so beautiful I was raised in um 
in the Christian church. Uh, mm. Well, I I say that loosely. My parents really had no uh, religious affiliation. My dad mm. just wanted me to have a really good education. <laughs> yep. So he yeah. put me into a Christian school at like three and a half. And I was raised, you know. Wow. Yeah, I was pre- basically raised in the church. Um, and I loved it. Like, I loved every bit of it. Um, I was drilled to read the Bible and start learning at such a young age. And I loved all the stories and um, everything about it just felt so right in my soul until, of course, later in my life. But um, my my school was uh, very liberal, I guess. That's the kind of the, the term that I would use um, because my school, I felt like, was really living in the God frequency. And by that, I mean they mm-hmm. prioritized connection and family and togetherness yeah. and celebration and joy. And there, I was a troublemaker. <laughs> I used to <laughs> flood the girls' bathroom and cut girls' hair. And yeah, I was wow. I was a troublemaker. And I never, I was never ever talked down to, like by anyone in the school. That's amazing. Um, we had the same principal. Yeah, we, we had the same principal, and he was, of course, our pastor. Um, for the whole time I was at the school, and he used to just say stuff like, "Alexis, <laughs> one day you're gonna figure this out." But for now, you know, how can we help you? And it was just me being ornery, really. I just love to be mischievous and figure out things. But anyway, I, you know, I, 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 I thought like that was such a good introduction to my work on this planet because, Mm. you know, if I would have grown up in like a rigid Catholic environment where, you know, we were swatted, I probably would have totally rejected God. But instead, you know, I was held in this deep love and reverence for God and reflected that continuously throughout our time. And it wasn't Mm. until I was like 13 when I started to question kind of, you know, some of the narratives that were given to us and specifically around, um, you know, Yeshua saying we're all created in God's image and thinking about all of the ways that we've been taught, you know, that, um, uh, you know, cities have been destroyed or, um, you know, people have been uh, murdered or or told to have been murdered because they, you know, weren't godly. And I remember laying in bed thinking like, that makes no sense to me. And I just threw it out. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I just mm-hmm. moved on. Um, and I, I started my deep dive through Buddhism. And so uh, it's so fascinating how we, I feel like on a soul level, we really kind of choose the pathways, you know, that our like childhood Uh, prepares us for and I feel such deep gratitude for having been raised in that way even if Mm -hmm. I ended up kind of having to deconstruct it because I think it really gave me a foundation and a reverence for God Um, I used to pray at night like God please come talk to me oh (laughs) that's so sweet (laughs) please send Archangel Gabriel to wake me up in the middle of the night (laughs) (laughs) And how I beautiful. 
I used to really want to be like Enoch and Methuselah. Mm-hmm. That's one of my favorite stories. I don't know why, but um, it was just so fascinating to me because, uh, you know, I used to just pray, like, I, I pray that God speaks to me today. And I would just wake up in the morning, like, did I receive any messages from God last night? And I, I don't know, I just, I feel such deep gratitude for even like having had the opportunity to be structured in that way um, because my parents just thought I was a little crazy you know my like I said my parents weren't religious by any means and my dad would be like okay cool did God talk to you and he'd be like probably not in the back of his head (laughs) (laughs) I I just learned for that deep inner soul connection to God and have God talk to me so Um, I really resonate, you know, with the story of like searching and discovering. And as an adult, I I really tried to find um, different churches that, you know, would work for me. And every church I went to, I was like, God, this is not it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I know the feeling. Not it. Not it. <laughs> kind of like in tag, right? Not yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. I, I would show up and then for some reason I would like find out these weird stories about the church or like I went Mm -hmm. to one church and this woman I was I sat for one sermon and then of course you know they do like the food thing afterwards and she started telling me all about this guy who was claiming you know that he was abused by the pastor and she was telling me all about how the church had spent all their money and I was like woman why would you tell me that right. like the first time they're here but also great advertising <laughs> and yeah. and thank you yes exactly <laughs> of course I never went back and it was it's just so interesting how like our soul continues to yearn for that connection our soul yes. continues to yearn to be in ceremony in sacredness in devotion to God and then yes. we go out there at least um primarily here in the United States for me anyway it's like everywhere I've gone, it just falls flat. Yes. Yeah. Flat is a good way to describe it. And I think the flatness, I don't know, this is this the conclusion I've come to, the flatness is that we know deep down that we're missing part of the story. We're missing yeah. part of the connection. By the way, I want to go back, dial back and say, I completely agree with you about being grateful for one's background. Um, even though, <clears throat> you know, I'm no longer a church going person and I'm mm-hmm. actually, actually next week is my, my bait Dean, which is my council of rabbis to actually convert to Judaism. So mm-hmm. I've moved, you know, quite far, but side note, converting to Judaism is not the kind of religious experience that it is in Christianity. People have it sometimes have a perception of it, like, right. Oh, did you pray a prayer and become Jewish? No, it's really more of a commitment to practice, to ritualize in really a certain mm-hmm. way. But anyway, that's another another topic. Um, but I am grateful that I had my beginning in this other community because to your point, I 100% agree. Where we start out is a reflection of what we're being called to reclaim. Mm-hmm. And we might not realize it, of course, at the time, because we don't know that, but over time, it becomes so obvious. And I think about how many religious lifetimes I've probably had 
Um, <laughs> so many. And I know there are so many where I was a healer or I was a nun or I was, you know, some kind of spiritual woman who was also in a nurturing or protective consciousness for others yeah. uh, and role. And in most of the lifetimes that I've either visited or had flashbacks of, or when I've worked with a healer or something that I've seen, they usually ended in trauma. Mm. And I, I realized at a certain point that this is the one where I get to look at all of these traditions and experiences and say, I now have that fuller story and I'm continuing to discover more and always will. And you no longer have the power to harm me mm -hmm. as well Beautiful. because it's now safe. No, not only, so I'm so grateful, even though there were challenges about how he was raised and even mm -hmm. now as an adult, occasionally I still encounter situations where I'm like, yeah, I forgot that my, my conditioning in certain areas was just different from day one than maybe a, a lot of people's and even a lot of Americans potentially, but it did create that, um, it created that space. And I mean, goodness, like sometimes I even told my rabbi this when I was writing my autobiography, spiritual autobiography for this process that I'm going through. Um, you know, my mother read the Hebrew Bible, even though she didn't call it that, she read it to me from the time I was born probably read it to me before I was born mm -hmm. maybe I would never have even ended up on this path if it hadn't for my been for my parents mm -hmm. and this church these churches putting these texts in front of me in a different way for different reasons with a different framework mm -hmm. but still you know like like if what if I had been raised by parent completely secular parents you know who didn't didn't put me in a day school like your parents did or or read mm -hmm. the bible at home like mine did Maybe it would have taken us a lot longer. Maybe we would have had a different lifetime and a different, you know, journey and experience altogether. Mm -hmm. So, but there can be, I don't know if you experienced this for me, there can be a lot of hurt and anger to wade through mm -hmm. depending on the experiences or the sense of disillusionment when you realize right. the standard, the standard narrative, I don't want to say it's kind of like the standard American diet. It's like the standard religious narrative, mm -hmm. you know, the SRN yeah. um, is, you know, when we realize as youth often that it's not something is off mm -hmm. and we reject it, <clears throat> um, you know, there can be so much pain and mm -hmm. disillusionment to work through in order to get back to the place where mm -hmm. we can both reclaim those stories and also be grateful that someone connected us with them in the first place. Right. Yeah, <laughs> so. it definitely look, it took me a lot of deconditioning and deprogramming and even questioning what I really believed from the standard Christian narrative. But the interesting thing about how I grew up, my dad actually got his master's degree in Christian theology when I was 17. He graduated wow. um, a month before me. <laughs> and uh, I always joke that I actually got a master's degree because I used to edit all my dad's papers. <laughs> Oh, wow. So, That's also a unique experience. Yeah. So I used to read through all of his papers and edit them and my dad's not tech savvy by any means so I'd have to you know help him upload it and um secretly I think he also like used that as a bonding experience because I can't you have after three times I think you can learn how to upload something but that man acted helpless <laughs> but um it was so fascinating you know because my dad was he was a deep proponent that there was so much missing story 
to the Yeshua story mm. and the Bible was it I mean he was obsessed with um uh the basically what we would call the Gnostic gospels right so yeah. the the Nag Hammadi texts and um that nature you know he was obsessed yeah. with the idea of like studying those and um really understanding them I actually think my dad is more religious than he claims but uh, in his own way, of course. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> and so I feel, again, just deep gratitude for having this man used to always tell me to question everything. And so, you know, as a child, it's hard for you to question when you're enjoying it and you're just like absorbing. And then when you grow up, you're like, oh, my goodness, <laughs> I really actually absorbed things I didn't realize I absorbed you know, which was the, yeah. the most fascinating thing about becoming an adult and going on a dive. And I had my reawakening um, uh, actually through a medium because I started to be able to see and talk to spirits. And I mm. couldn't, I couldn't really make sense of it. And my first mentor um, was a, a really devoted woman she was totally devoted to god and she taught me how to like you know basically create my channel so that i knew what was divinely inspired versus like what yes. was just kind of a lingering energy on this planet um yeah. and so it was her who really started me started like this repairing process of returning to god and uh, the mm -hmm. first time I prayed again after like, I don't know, seven years was at the Chicago O'Hare airport. <laughs> wow. The airport prayer. Yeah. Yes. The airport prayer. And I found it so funny because um, I had specifically asked God not to do something and God did the thing I, I didn't want. So I, it was like an instant moment of like, okay. First of all, God's messing with me. And secondly, God also actually exists. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I can mm -hmm. I can really identify with this like deep deconstruction, especially now, because I often question like, you know, who is God or what is God yeah. to me? And I sometimes feel that like creeping story of like, well, I'm not teaching from the Bible, so therefore I don't know who God is. And I have to look at um, that and be like, yeah. ew. Yeah, exactly. Is, that's this, a, Yeah, that's the other side. <laughs> on the one hand, there's like like completely believing the SRN, the standard religious narrative. And on the yeah. other hand, there's like that worrying that if I teach something outside of this, it's not mm -hmm. real. And yeah, totally. I know that. <laughs> so how how did you find the goddess? So, um, on my journeys, when I was traveling, I, I, as I mentioned, I met a Magdalene priestess who I'm still in touch with today, which is so funny because, you know, my journey has changed so much over the years. Um, and I actually had a, like a past life reading, Akashic Records reading with her, mm -hmm. which first time I've ever had anything like that done. It was really remarkable how much she information she received about me much of which made a lot of sense with my actual patterns and things like very specific things you know in this lifetime but relating to other lifetimes and she told me that i had been a priestess in multiple lifetimes and i had been a magdalene um priestess and i 
freaked out because of course that I did not really understand that. I just understood that she saw a goddess as being connected into stories and texts that I grew up with. And that's really all I understood. I was at the time reading Sue Monk Kidd's book, Dance of the Dissident Daughter, which is still in my mind, one of the best breakdowns of like a long-term process of how change happens in the thinking and embodiment of a person. Like it's really challenging even for myself to go back and chart that much finely tuned shift. Like I can't imagine actually trying to put that book together. That was an amazing project. (laughs) Um, And so I was like, okay, but for her, I think the sense I get, and I might be mistaken on this, but the sense I took away from Sue Monk Kidd's book, many times I've read it, is that for her, she came to a point where biblical text was not necessarily going to be part of her experience in general. It was part of her past, but a lot of her goddess connection was very Greco-Roman and which is fine. That just didn't speak to me. And what I didn't realize is I was missing the biblical piece for whatever reason, because of maybe because of how I was raised in that early programming or what my soul journey has been over multiple lifetimes. I didn't realize that I needed to see goddess really see her in that what had been, even though it no longer was, but what had been my childhood seat of spiritual authority. Mm-hmm. And I, I actually took a class from another wonderful rabbi this last year who teaches a lot on goddess in the Bible. And she said that basically she sees that as her whole work is helping people find mm-hmm. the feminine in the text that had been in childhood presented to them as authority because her 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 idea is that until you see it in what your subconscious perceives to be authoritative Mm -hmm. you will never see it as yours it will be someone else's and when people Mm -hmm. would say to me well in hinduism they have all these goddesses and i'm like that's amazing but i'm not indian or i'm not no by hindu by origin yeah uh like i just couldn't grab onto it the way and i know a lot of people do and, and have but i just couldn't So it was when I started, I mean, in 2020, I read a book about the feminine as a creative force. And the author looked at three different traditions. And one of them was, of course, Hinduism, so Shakti. And one of them, I can't remember what the third one was, but the second one was Judaism. And she looked at Shekhinah, the the -hmm. divine presence. And I started, like, I was so mesmerized by that because, of course, even though Shekinah, her name in that exact form doesn't necessarily appear in the Hebrew Bible, it does in the Aramaic. It's a long conversation, but mm-hmm. short suffice to say, um, her presence is there. And it was in these earliest stories, right? Not so much like yeah. later ones, but in early ones. And just mm-hmm. the idea of her being this presence and seeing how I was taught about the Holy Spirit as a child in Christianity, mm-hmm. which goes back to, you know, very early like rabbinic teaching on, yeah. on Shekinah or the Holy Spirit. And just that opened up something for me like, oh, okay, well, a vibrational Holy Spirit spirit, ruach, breath, wind, Shekinah, mm-hmm. this is feminine. Okay, I can grab onto that, right? And taking hold of that, those ideas mm-hmm. and beginning to see goddess in that way. The embodied idea, the goddess, the idea of goddess embodied was harder, of course. That took a lot longer, <laughs> even like this last year. I've finally <laughs> been able to wrestle with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was also then when I got connected with a group called Kohenet, which um is the hebrew priestess institute kohenet is basically priestess like cohen is the word for priest in jewish tradition so like the sons of aaron in in torah 
or Kohane. Um, and so a, ko, a Kohanotes or then plural Kohanit, wait, no, yes, um, is, is priestess. And that word does not appear in the Bible. That particular word for priestess does not appear in the Bible, but it makes sense in that community to use that term. Mm-hmm. And these women were like radical rabbis who were like singers and dancers and drummers. And they took all of these fabulous stories and in the Bible and like did all this edgy work on them, like linguistically and socially. And yet they were still very scholarly in their orientation, which works for me personally. That's another thing. People would be like, I channeled Mother Anna and she told me this for you. And I remember like my literal evangelical self was like, I don't know if you talk to Mother Anna or if some crazy spirit is like, I have no idea how to evaluate, yeah. especially if the message didn't land as being even anywhere near remotely, mm-hmm. remotely close to accurate. Sometimes it would land and I'd be like, okay, there's something there. And then sometimes I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, and they're yeah. like, but I've got this thing for you. And I'm like, I, I just don't know how to deal with that. But the, the Jewish tradition works differently. And so mm-hmm. like this, people were still channeling that information but it was coming out in a different way where they were looking at texts and languages and amazing poetry and like all these different forms of expression and it just like it landed and so i started like that's what found home the like not it not it not it that we were talking about earlier was like immediately (laughs) like it even though i didn't really understand all the norms of that community and how it works i didn't know the liturgy I didn't, if I went to their prayer service, like it was very goddess focused, but it was still structured like a Jewish prayer service in terms of the movements of the prayer. I didn't know them at the time, right? I'm kind of like metaphorically peeking in on Zoom, like, how does this work? Can I do this? You know, is it okay if I don't have a Jewish card? Can I come type of a thing? Um, And so then I started to sing their music. I started to pray their prayers because it just worked for me. I started to realize that I could look at the Bible for inspiration on how to build an altar. So suddenly all that pageantry and things that I wanted to do, all the shells I collected as a kid, like all the things I wanted to do that were I realized were devotional. Now I was seeing that there was an earth-based feminine tradition that was a part of these early stories. And, oh, how can I, like stones are a big deal. For example, in the Bible, stones are piled up by the patriarchs and matriarchs, they're used as remembrance. To this day, Jews will bring stones to um, funerals and they'll lay a stone on the casket, not flowers, because a stone is eternal. And it's a reminder of that which lasts. So like suddenly I was like, oh, I can actually have like an altar of stones. And in my mind, it wasn't just me being like, I made this pretty thing. Like in my mind, I was like, well, Abraham did that, Sarah did that. You know, like there was this instant connection. And, um, and that's really over the last couple of years, like how goddess connection actually landed for me because someone put it in terms mm-hmm. that made sense to me out of these stories that for whatever reason are a guiding beacon for my life. I wouldn't say that they are for everybody, but they are mm-hmm. for me and people who also feel that same way or need to heal that relationship in some way are the ones who usually land in my space now, as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I feel like, one, we so crave some sort of tradition. Mm-hmm. And this, like, lack of, 
I don't know what I would describe it as. Like when I try to put words to it, it might be hard, but I feel like there's a lack of personalization and, and true like ritual when, especially in the U S like the churches, um, uh, the churches that exist. Yeah. Although it's kind of funny when I say that, I think of like, um, um, what are those, uh, Alabama snake churches? I can't think of their name, but I sometimes I think of that and I'm like, oh, I could see how people get excited about that because it's like the, you know, the energy is so um, palpable and there's just like this moving force that's existing with these people that are, uh, you know, I don't know, I even know how to describe the words. I've only seen it from the outside. I have family from Alabama, so oh. <laughs> I've... <laughs> only kind of experienced it from story right. and fiction but I can imagine how like in the moment of like channeling with these serpents you begin to like feel the frequency of that that's but mm-hmm. I, you know mm-hmm. I feel like that's kind of the problem that a lot of us are really having because we deeply desire personalization and um, ritual and tradition yeah. and also like uh, guiding light that doesn't yeah. just spoon feed us what I would consider bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 100%. I, the last church I went into, um, the pastor was telling the story about uh, Yeshua and the tax man. And I remember the pastor goes, how, you know, how did Yeshua know? Well, Jesus, how did Jesus know yeah. this tax man's name? And all the kids are looking at him or it was a woman, all the kids are looking at her and they were like, I don't know how. And she was like, because Jesus knows everything. And I was like, oh. Yeah, that's common teaching. He's a tax man. Everyone knows his name. (laughs) It was in that moment I was like, my hope is gone. I have to leave. (laughs) Yeah. So <laughs> I remember sitting in that church just thinking, this is a problem. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I, yeah. I just deeply feel like we actually crave true, authentic connection to God where yeah. we're taught how to pray. We're taught how to ritualize. We're taught how to commune. We're not just mm-hmm. sitting in front of a pastor who's reading us. Uh, you know, from the Bible and then telling us a story about how that applies to their Sunday afternoon with their son. Um, yeah. It's, it's it's just like, okay, well, give me more because this is not, mm-hmm. you know, this is not like something that I can take home and put on my altar. How do I show right. up to my altar? How do I show up to my prayers? How do I listen to what God has to say to me? I don't get it. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I feel like that's what people are really craving, but we have almost like this, um, like fast food spirituality where we go and we pig out on a Sunday and then we go home and we crave it for the rest of the week. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I just feel like you, you following those threads really revealed to you what was actually the answer to, oh, this is what I put on my altar and this is why I put things on my altar. And I think that's, that's really beautiful. Uh, yeah. And I just, one thing on that, I want to say, cause you're sparking some connections to what you said <laughs> earlier about, 
I mean, I think what you're asking for and like what you describe, what I hear is a cry for embodiment. How do I experience the frequency of this? Mm -hmm. And that's what I always tell people when they come to my events. Like I do a monthly Shabbat Mevarachim, which is like the Shabbat before the new or the the Sabbath before the new moon. I always do a Mm -hmm. gathering and different things throughout the month. Um, I tell them you're here because you're seeking a frequency. Right. And you will you will feel something when you encounter it mm-hmm. or you'll sense a shift, even if it's not a feeling, there'll be some kind of consciousness shift and you are seeking that. And that comes it can study can support it, but it comes through ritual. And yeah. like when I was going through my starting to sing and pray and ritualize in this certain way that I was being given these tools it was anchoring that goddess frequency for me. Like it could actually land in my body because of the embodiment practices. And you're right. Like I had the same experience <clears throat> in going to church. It's so much let, you know, there's some embodiment through music, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and all of that, and maybe fellowship or connecting with people that are like minded, bring some of that frequency. There may be some ritual like communion or something like that. But at the mm-hmm. end of the day, it's kind of a lot of pouring knowledge in here, you know, mm-hmm. let's study this, let's, the text says this, what do you think the text said, you know, and, and those are all valid things to ask. And there are a part, you know, we want to check the yeah. rational brain out of the process, but mm-hmm. it's, it's the hunger is for that, that just that beingness. And I think ritual and music and poetry and all of these things that hit the subconscious are really the only way that we can ultimately get there. And if we don't get tools for it, we just feel dry and that part right. of this is empty. Yeah. yeah. When um, I was thinking a lot about uh, the Prince of Egypt, <laughs> that's my favorite movie, <laughs> but the wedding scene, you know, um, mm. look through God's eyes, the, that whole yeah. like scene I feel like is really um, personified by like what you're describing. And every time I watch that scene, I cry because I'm like, this is it. This is everything. And when I was pregnant with my son, I would actually put that song on repeat for like 15 minutes straight and just cry about how wonderful it was. Because in my mind, I would reenact that scene and I would see everyone, you know, dancing, drumming, uh dancing in circle and I when I saw that I was like this is it like this is the ritual this is the ceremony this is the embodiment of God moving through us with the rhythm and the movement and the the voice and even the words that we're speaking over each other right because like that song I I feel like when I (laughs) when I was pregnant I used to tell my child in the womb like you know look through heaven's eyes you have such a larger plan that I can even imagine. I would just sing that to him while he was inside of me. Cause I, of course I feel like that song is like the embodiment of the divine tapestry that we're all part of, you know, yeah. we have no idea like what we're really pushing in our lives by saying yes to our soul frequency. Yeah. So <laughs> amen to that for sure. <laughs> just a little Prince of Egypt stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I remember watching that movie and just being so in love with it with a child. I'm like, this is it. Mm. Mm. And I, I also, you know, I've, I have so much, um, I, I have so much frustration with the translations of the Bible 
Mm-hmm. Um, there, yeah. you know, of course, we have translated it over and over from Hebrew to uh, Coptic to English. And plus, like every person, I shouldn't say every person on the planet, but lots of people on this planet have reinterpreted it in their own way. Yeah. And that's like one thing that I feel I've also craved from the studies of the Bible is to return to the roots of what it actually meant. So um, I would just love if you could talk about your uh, relationship to Hebrew and Aramaic and how that really supported you. Yes. Well, first off, I should say for anyone listening who is an expert in these topics, I am not an expert in the traditional sense. I just am a diligent self-studier and I do have a linguistics background. Like I've always had an aptitude for languages. I got my master's degree in linguistics. Ironically, my focus language for my master's program was Arabic, which I had no reason at the time to take, which is so funny because then I ended up moving to Dubai like a decade later. You know, it's just funny how your soul knows what it mm-hmm it needs to know before it knows, but it also gave me a Semitic language and Arabic operates grammatically in some similar Mm -hmm. ways to Hebrew and and Aramaic. So um, it it was helpful. But uh, one of the things I realized, let me back up and say, back when I was kind of going through my work with Magdalene, because she was the nearest thing to my birth tradition that, you know, I kept encountering. Mm-hmm. Um, I studied in a, in a time in a Magdalene priestess program, and the woman who ran that program used a lot of Hebrew and Aramaic, and it was the first time I had encountered those languages in depth. I had the opportunity to take Hebrew when I was in Bible college. For some reason, I never did. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for whatever reason, this program was where I encountered it, and I noticed that singing it and drumming with it really had a powerful impact for me and brought a lot of healing and i kind of fell in love with the languages so even after my journey evolved more toward you know the hebrew goddess and what was going on in jewish communities like the gift of that early connection early in terms of like in this part of my journey anyway was really helpful so i went on to to study aramaic on my own and then now Hebrew the last year, and it's a little easier because now I'm in a lot of communities where Hebrew is being used. I'm around a lot of people who, you know, speak decent Hebrew, either modern Hebrew or no biblical. And so that helps. But what really makes a difference is the amazing Bible study tools that are available. Um, there's a website called Safaria, S-E-F-A-R-I-A dot org. And this has been funded by some generous Jewish families, but they made literally millions of pages of biblical text, Jewish commentaries, all of the Bible and like tons of different translations, which by the way is a clearer, simpler and, and I don't know, it's a much easier, they're much easier translations to work with than Christian translations because there are significant differences in how things are Mm -hmm. translated depending on, you know, doctrine and all of this. in those you can see the Hebrew and English next to each other and you can click on any word in the Hebrew and do all kinds of research and there are such tools available in Christian communities but I've never seen one where all this stuff is available for free and it's just out there and then there's literally millions of pages of commentary I mean I think Jewish tradition has some of the most the deepest bodies of literature like anywhere just because Jews like to preserve their texts. <laughs> so we have them all. So I just started using those. And then I would read books and I would read scholars or like some of these lady rabbis I mentioned earlier, I would read their books and they were talking about the language. So I learned things from them. 
And then I would go and look things up for myself. And so it's just been this process of getting it from a lot of different sources. I am about to teach a class upcoming in December, although it will be kind of rolling um, over the next seven months called 26 Names for Goddess in the Hebrew Bible. And that's literally a goddess name in the Hebrew Bible every single week. There's a study portion, there's a somatic and energy you know, work portion with the name to do vibrational healing. There's a meditation card and there's going to be a lot of looking at the text in English and Hebrew and also pointing people to these sources where they can go and find things for themselves. And that is purely born out of me being willing to wade into all of this and not to be scared by the the language, um, but to realize that it holds wisdom. I mean, there are even goddess names, even translators don't recognize because they just had this idea that like, well, it couldn't be a goddess name. So clearly it must be this other thing, you know, and they translated it as that. Um, For example, Lilith shows up in, in, in uh, the book of Isaiah. And that is a good example because Lilith is translated as something else as a screech owl, Mm -hmm. you know, and, but because, well, how do we explain that, you know, whoever wrote Isaiah is, uh referencing lilith or this you know demonic entity or the you know this dark mm-hmm. feminine whatever well we can't translate that literally i don't i think even the jewish translation doesn't translate it literally but it's there and like if you read the passage yeah. you're like oh totally makes sense this is the realm of lilith mm-hmm. so um that's just one example of two where things are hiding in the language and yeah so now i'm at the point where i've done enough of this that i can look at even passages where i'm maybe someone hasn't done so much work there. Like when I just, I just wrote a book on Shaddai or El Shaddai, the name for God that, the name that God announces God's self to Avraham as El El Shaddai. Um, I believe this was a name of goddess Mm -hmm. and was known actually in the wider region. And like some of the passages that I studied and shared in that book, I haven't really seen touched on or evaluated all that much in other resources, but now I have enough. And you know, someone who's trained in the traditional views of scholarship or, you know, SRN, Standard Religious Narrative, would probably be like, what? <laughs> but I, I, I built the case the best that I could so people could mm-hmm. see my thinking on it. And yeah, um, the languages are beautiful and they're amazing. And I really do believe that a lot of the vibration of goddess and a lot of the, the ways, even the text itself, in Jewish tradition, the text is feminine. Mm-hmm. The Torah is yeah. dressed in, you know, it's held in, in the, the scrolls are held in very beautiful containers there. It's undressed and kissed and passed around. It's very vaguely sexual, actually, when Torah comes out of the, the ark, which is the place that it's kept. And it's because like when people couldn't venerate goddess anymore, they mm-hmm. were given stand ins and text is a stand in. But it's also not I always joke. It's also not a stand in right. because text holds vibration <laughs> and and the text still holds her and she's there but we just have to look at, and if you see the words like people there's always this debate about how um alphabet and language kind of pushed goddess out of the picture there's even a book the alphabet and the goddess you know like mm-hmm. like how goddess consciousness evolved when people became more language oriented but on the other side you can also argue that languages are a grand form of symbol mm-hmm and they are also vibrational. So there's different ways to look at this. It's very, you know, multifaceted. 
Um, but I do believe that the languages I call it mystical. I do think I call doing this work mystical linguistics, and I do think right. it's one of one of the ways that we can discover treasures that are hidden there or things that were part of original stories but got pulled in and we're like, but that doesn't make any sense. Oh, but it does if you think about it this way. You know, <laughs> lots of reseeing. So. Yeah. It's so fascinating to me because like the work that you're doing does really butt up against a huge cultural narrative that is that I I like forgot existed for a minute. Um, I I mentioned Magdalene on Twitter and got Christian Twitter pissed off at me because they don't believe you oh, know fine. that. <laughs> oh yeah, that was great, right? <laughs> um, they they I'm I'm so flabbergasted that the Christians don't actually believe that women are allowed to minister. Um, right. <laughs> yeah and so why would there ever be a goddess and i i totally forgot that Mm -hmm. existed until i i was Mm -hmm. talking about magdalene's ministry and you know her relationship to yeshua and yeah christian twitter was like well you're a gnostic so you're a heretic and i was like okay well well, then disregard everything i'm saying (laughs) exactly (laughs) why are you even here why are you bothering (laughs) yeah i was just like yeah what and again i go back to yeshua says we are made in god's image and if we are made in god's image and women birth babies and nourish babies with their breasts then there has to be a goddess there Mm -hmm. cannot be no goddess (laughs) it makes no sense i mean maybe i'm yeah. being too literal but i also feel like it, it just it just wouldn't make any sense to me so i, I find it fascinating yeah. that even the, and there's subtleties to this like there's you know subtle mm-hmm. remarks of, about you know women being unable to minister and um especially in the christian paradigm and i'm, I'm still blown away that that exists I don't know every time I cut every time I confront that I'm still like utterly soul confused (laughs) yeah it's such an interesting thing because I definitely grew up very much in that world where women were not pastors they did not they could maybe be a Sunday school teacher or a women's Mm -hmm. ministry director but that was all but I, I think the thing that has helped me the most with that is recognizing that what Paul created is an entirely different organism Yes, And even, I mean, most of Jesus' teaching, and I know this is a very controversial thing to say, but from my perspective, you know, this is part of my journey to Judaism, most of what Jesus teaches, if not all of it, was pretty much standard rabbinic doctrine for that time, which Mm -hmm. shocks people because they're like, oh, but he's always arguing with the Pharisees. And I'm like, yes, but vigorous debate and discourse was like a very important part of that early rabbinic tradition. Mm -hmm. Sometimes to the point, like it was called, there's a term for it in Hebrew, I can't remember, arguing for the sake of heaven. And, you know, um, like that was such a a huge thing. And maybe he did belong to a different school of thought. But like, Mm -hmm. but Salam Elohim, being made in the image of God, like that is sort of a like really foundational Jewish teaching. So, you know, but then we get to Paul and who was it? Paul and Peter, they were the ones who put restrictions on women. Probably yeah, I feel because they hated Mary Magdalene. <laughs> I and I the think exact same thing. <laughs> you know, that that um that vibration, when that vibration of like hatred really in some senses, even if people don't realize that's what they're communicating, this vibration of of complete shutdown against like women in ministry, when that comes through, I'm like, oh my goodness, that's a trans trans 
transmission of that consciousness yeah for how many millennia i feel like i'm still sitting sitting in some debate and those guys are arguing no the women shall not speak you know whatever okay all right yeah and i i have literally said the same thing i had um i had a student come to me one time you know talking about paul and all the horrible things that paul has pushed forward and i was like well I believe that he was either A, insanely jealous of Mary Magdalene, or B, mm-hmm. he hated her, which mm-hmm. are could have been one of the same experiences for him. So yeah. I have, and I have said again and again, you know, these, these two, they were not speaking on behalf of Yeshua. Like they were not yeah. speaking on behalf of what he believed because he never believed that. He believed yeah. that every single person, you know, followed their own holy spirit and held the holy spirit within their heart and had a ministry within them to Mm -hmm. give back so why would there why would we prioritize men over having a ministry and not women it makes no sense especially again if we think about you know just like women often stay with their children so they are ministering to the youth at all times right Mm -hmm. so I I don't want to say their ministry is more important, but I feel like their ministry is extremely impactful for yes. the generations that are moving through them. So yes. again, I'm just like, oh God, Paul, get out of here. <laughs> it have- shocks me. It shocks me to this day. Like every little place you look and you see the influence of Pauline mm-hmm. or Petrine yep. ideas down to... <laughs> Even the way certain stories are written in the Gospels kind of mm-hmm. demonstrate either a, a, an orientation toward that or a revision later, perhaps someone, right. you know, it's just, it's amazing. And the fact, though, if you talk to a person who's sitting in a church who feels very aligned with that community and maybe maybe hasn't, isn't in, in a phase of their life where they've questioned it or maybe in this lifetime they never will, like that's just mm-hmm. their path. And you, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but like you raised this, like, well, you realize that what Paul advocated for and who Jesus was are kind of really nothing like each other. Yeah. And you can just see the saucer eyes. Like, right. <laughs> but when things are taught as one and the same, I mean, there are so many like things, you know, right now, I mean, you know, ideologies can colonize perfectly beautiful uh spiritual systems and explanations of you know deep spiritual truth and mm-hmm. you know and to the point where generations later nobody remembers that they were ever separate mm-hmm. and it's so shocking it's so shocking to me like for example i mean we're seeing it right now with the this is being recorded during the war between israel and gaza and my personal perspective is that zionism colonized judaism yeah. you know it wasn't uh it, it was not the the teaching but now many many of my jewish friends like they can't imagine a world where there isn't some type of zionist state and for them it's the same thing and to me that's like a very similar process to like what has happened in christianity where mm-hmm. granted over a much longer period of time but like uh right. you know pauline patrine ideas colonized this this early community Right. And then one day you look back and nobody remembers that these were ever two different things. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, super, super uh, scary in some ways. Yeah. And also, but also empowering once you can see it. Anytime it's like, 
there's this thing that is changing this system that I love. I find there's usually always a colonization at some point of an outside ideology and often a political one. Because when you think about it, mm-hmm. polyimpetrian theology is also political in that it served Rome very, yeah. very well. Very well. <laughs> yeah. And it's continued. Yeah to do so <laughs> yes so yes yeah and I you know when you start talking about the council of Nicaea or the Gnostic gospels people look at you like but the church tells me that's all mm-hmm. quack stuff and it's like well mm-hmm. why do you think it's been hidden why do you think it's been coveted mm-hmm. why do you think that it's been preserved for thousands of years and and yeah. you know uh, when we when we unleashed the Nag Hammadi text, what was the first thing that was said? You can't put it out right now. The church is going to be pissed about this. Yep. Not probably not verbatim, but you know, <laughs> it's 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 a free translation of what was said. Yeah, yeah exactly. And just like just that thought alone, the church is going to be pissed. You can't let this out. That should tell you something about this, like, ideology that we're, you know, uh, holding in our heart that we're believing to be true and that we're using to color our lens of who God is to us. Yes. And that's kind of where, like, um, a lot of my frustration (laughs) comes from in this work is, you know, meeting people sitting at the altar and sitting at the feet of people who have gone, you know, decades in the church only to now be listening to their soul nudges and be struggling with, is this demonic? Is this wrong? Am Mm -hmm. I being deceived by the goddess? Mm -hmm. Like, am I going against God by listening to this soul nudge? And it just like makes me want to flip tables. (laughs) Totally. Totally. And it can be very, I mean, I want to say to anyone out there, since you brought this up, that is struggling with that right now, that anxiety about, but my pastor said this, or Mm -hmm. lightning is going to strike me if I say the name goddess out loud or whatever. Mm -hmm. Just know that it's completely normal to feel like that tight chest or the sick stomach or feel like there's doom hanging over your head or be even afraid. The big one for me, and I struggled with this as late as three years ago when I was really like finally like anchoring that goddess vibration. And the overwhelming fear I had is that what I would lose my connection to the masculine aspects of God, which I had always valued. I mean, we had struggled, but I still had Mm -hmm. that value and appreciation for God as father, for example. Mm-hmm. I was scared to death that I was going to lose that. It was the most irrational fear. And I knew it. My head knew it was irrational. But for months on end, I would wake up in like night sweats. Mm-hmm. And now, I, as I was reflecting, like I'm thinking about a different area of my life right now where I'm walking past a boundary that I've had. And it's high time for that to happen so I can expand. There's that same anxiety for about a completely different area. And it's always that it's the ego, right? Like you're going to die if you do this thing, but really it's what, it's what you need to expand into and receive. But if you're out there and you're experiencing that and you have worried that this is God or the Holy spirit telling you that you're doing the wrong thing. Cause how many times have we been taught? Like, well, if you don't feel peace about it, then yeah, clearly you're doing the wrong thing. Um, just know that these are real somatic experiences that go with, the kind of oppression that you probably already aware you've lived with and mm-hmm. breaking those chains 
receiving healing from that it's a process Mm -hmm. i no longer wake up in the middle of the night obviously in night sweats um and i no longer feel like i don't have a relationship with god because god is because of course they're unified so of course but the of course is now (laughs) (laughs) um and it is it is incredible how embedded those ideas are that our bodies can be so deeply affected I know even though people have manifested like grave illnesses and things while they were purging all right. of that out of their physical right. being. It's so deeply held within our tissues. And we have to think, mm-hmm. you know, if we've been raised in a, a certain environment and we've been um, taught and trained in this environment, then that lives within our tissues. Yeah. And we pick up on way more than just what someone's saying to us we pick up on their energy we pick up on their Mm -hmm. emotions we pick up on their own little triggers even if our consciousness doesn't recognize it our subconscious has saved that in the back um and so it can be so uh just so hard sometimes to really deconstruct and deprogram we have to kind of take like the first step feel that like initial uh, pushback and just keep going as best as we can. And I really feel like uh, also be held in reverence. Mm. If we have community, um, Mm -hmm. we being held is such a important part to this. I feel like we, it's a lot easier for us to go through this when we have people to lean on. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I think like, that's like one of the most empowering things about like working with the goddess in my own work is it feels like, you know, the goddess really moves us to um, commune together and to ritualize together and to ceremony together and to sit in circles. Yes. It's interesting. You should say that because I honestly never thought about it before, but that is so often how we are guided, we are guided to a circle or into circle, you know, or we circle back, pun intended, to a circle <laughs> if we've been away for a while when we're in need of that mm-hmm. community. And it is very powerful. And I will say this also, some of the earliest circles I sat in, as scared as I was, frankly, or weirded out a little bit about being there, it was the first time I saw goddess-centric femininity modeled by whoever was leading to this day when I'm sitting in my own circles I'm like this is surreal I've again pun intended I've come full circle now I'm the person (laughs) sitting here you know like leading everyone and sometimes I'm in the audience you know it just depends but on Mm -hmm. those times when I'm there like holding that space I think about different women whose circles I sat in who showed me They didn't tell me anything about how they do their practice or their life, or they didn't tell me like, this is what it means to lead a goddess circle or something like that. But they showed Mm -hmm. me through their embodiment and more than that, through their energy. Mm -hmm. And that was very hard for me to grasp at first because I'm like, everybody wants to be in this woman's space. What is it? And it's, it's, it's the energy. It's the frequency that she's holding and transmitting. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, that's something you can really only have in community. So community is, I mean, in terms of like your experience, if you're experiencing it from someone else, by definition, mm-hmm. there's like otherness happening, right? There's community. Right. So I always encourage people, especially if you've come out of a spiritual tradition, like 
a church or a synagogue or something where there wasn't any mm-hmm. feminine embodiment, feminine ritual practice or goddess consciousness happening, um, it's good to sit in those spaces, to find spaces, to gravitate into them and make time to be there. Right. So that you can experience and soak in the vibration, but also experience like, what is it really like when there's community mm-hmm. and there's goddess at the center of it? Mm-hmm. How is that different? Because it is incredibly different. I so. identify with that. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like all of my work has been centered around the goddess ever since I've yeah. I've really like come full circle. And I guess, yeah. uh, you know, pun intended, um, I really got to this place just by, you know, sitting in moon circles and mm-hmm. sitting in women's circles and seeing mm-hmm. like, oh, this is it. This is where we go. And of course, I'm a woman. So (laughs) it's not like I, you know, find myself in men's spaces often. (laughs) True, true. Same here. Yeah. So, of course, you know, sitting in these circles is like where I really, I feel like I really meet her and where we've like come together. Uh, And I just, I just so appreciate the work that you're doing because I don't feel like I've never really seen anyone else doing this work like you. Um, I This year, I started working with um, Reverend Dale Allen Hoffman uh, to learn, you know, Aramaic and to become deeply connected to the way that he teaches about the Magdalene mysteries mm-hmm. and all of that wonderful stuff. Uh, but still... The way that you are presenting the goddess is nothing like I've seen it before. And maybe I just haven't had eyes to see <laughs> or ears to hear up until this moment. But I I feel like the only time I've ever heard anyone ever talk about uh, the goddess in the Hebrew Bible is just based on the Shekinah. And mm-hmm. um, the way that you're presenting her to us is unlike anything I have ever seen in this world. <laughs> so <Aww. laughs> that's the kindest compliment. Thank you very much. I'm honored, partially because I'm my sun sign is Leo. And so we love very original expression. Yep. Like that's very important to us in our embodiment. So thank you for that on the one hand. But on the other hand, I'm delighted because it's good <laughs> to be able to bring it. I can say that my journey, the fact that my journey has taken me through these two different spiritual communities, through Christianity Mm -hmm. in many forms and through Judaism is I think it's what I can can gift. And actually I spoke with my spiritual director about this recently because for some people who are Jewish, um, there can be a very like distinct tendency to circle the wagons as my spiritual director always calls it because of the pain and challenges and trauma that community has faced, it's very easy to just say, let's shut the outside world out and we're just going to do Jewish and we're not going to talk to anyone else about Jewish. And then there's a lot of sensitivity for some people around if they don't know a lot about Christianity and they just are like, well, Christians appropriate everything we do, but they have a different Testament. Like they, you know, there, there can be a lot of Mm -hmm. that kind of confusion and hurt and people have maybe said awkward things and, and all of this. Right. So had to wade through all of that. But like I was speaking to her one time about my work and I said, you know, even though I feel like this is my spiritual home, I don't want to close my tent flap to if we're talking about Abraham and Sarah, you know, I don't want to close my tent flap to everyone else. 
And she told me about a midrash, which is a Jewish term for creative storytelling on the biblical text. It takes all kinds of flights of fancy and literary um, uh, license to imagine how different texts might be connected or what else might have happened, who else was in the room. It's a really cool thing. It's been mm -hmm. going on for a long time. But she told me about one um, in which there's a story that everywhere Abraham and Sarah went, they would pitch their tent and they would open the flap at night. And whoever was passing by, they would invite them in. Didn't matter if they were Canaanites or if they were Philistines or from the Egyptians or anyone, they would come in and have a meal and Abraham and Sarah would talk about God. And so she told me, she said, um, I think this is like your version of that Midrash. Like you're gonna open up this tent. And because I come from a Christian background, I have a certain relationship with the text and that's never gonna fully go away. Like I'm never mm -hmm. gonna be like a born Jew. Right. It's a very different thing. At the same time, I've gained all these treasures in how to think about the biblical text, the Hebrew biblical text in this other way and discovered all of these things, <clears throat> these ways of reading the text and these stories, even the concept of midrash of this creative storytelling on the text. What if it could have been like this, these different things that there's permission, I would say in general, because Judaism is not a belief based culture. It's a, I don't want to say behavior based because that sounds bad, but like we do Judaism together. Like that's how that community mm -hmm. operates. You don't have to believe it, but we do, we, we do this way of embodying our essence in the world in a certain way. It's behavior based. So even that like leads to certain different ways of looking at things. And so now I feel like because I've received that, I get to, in a sense, take what people might know one way and turn it on its head with this other way. But I even have Jewish friends that come to my events and they're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I've never heard this before because I might've pulled in something from the other side, right? And applied it back to what they know. Right. So it's like this cross tradition. And someone even said to me, you know, um, asked me about the, you know, this very thing. And, and my response to her was, well, I couldn't teach it the way I teach it if I hadn't, if I hadn't traveled into both of these worlds. Like mm -hmm. that, again, being appreciative of the journey that we have, right? And um, so on the one hand, thank you for that. I'm so glad to hear that it's landing that way. And on the other hand, it is kind of the very like intensive and um, deliberate choice to learn these other ways of seeing and understanding that I didn't even really understand existed. I guess I just thought rabbis taught the Bible like, like pastors, but choose i don't know it's like a completely different thinking yeah. pattern and i and both are valid and they're unique ways of seeing right. but when we're able to like learn from a different community's way of seeing sometimes it just opens up new understanding for us right in powerful ways yeah so beautifully put and i think you know having your tent flap open to whomever is ready to hear mm -hmm. about goddess or god and the way that mm -hmm. you teach them is exactly what the world needs. Um, I feel like the coveting is what has caused so much separation between us and yes. God. Yes. And from so. one another. We haven't mm -hmm. had a chance to learn from and be blessed by one another because right. of that separation. So it just, people, people on both sides tend to give me anxious looks when I mention this. <laughs> if they're not already a super flexible thinker, they get 
anxious. That being said, there are so many people I'm starting to meet on both sides who are doing this like flexible work, boundary crossing, Mm -hmm. as one of my rabbi friends calls it. And I'm excited by that. I think the more community we can have around that um, and the more honest we can be about where there have been points of hurt or points of, um, you know, where there's been wounding between communities that has prevented us from having access to each other's wisdom. It's also good to acknowledge that as well. I totally agree. I'm sorry. My child is crying. Oh, no, not at all. Yeah, of course. He's not going to stop crying unless mom comes to get Oh, how sweet. So um, <laughs> I would love to know how we can work with you, Lisa. Oh, yes. Well, there are a, a number of ways to do that, um, kind of across all a, a range of levels. Um, at the, the easiest way in is probably through one of my books. Um, I have a book on El Shaddai. I also have a book on Jewish chant as a shamanic healing practice, which is really a lot of it's applicable to chant across many traditions. So um, those are a good start. I also have a lot of different mini workshops. People really love those. It's something short, it's digestible, um, but it goes deep on a goddess related topic in the Bible or sometimes on connections between Judaism and Christianity, maybe a topic that crosses through both traditions. Uh, And then in terms of signature programs, Um, The one that's nearest and dearest to my heart is called Tent Keepers, which is a priestess activation with the Hebrew matriarchs, Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah, seeing them as Mesopotamian priestesses who were helping to birth Mm -hmm. a new tradition. And also um, what I love about that one is we do a lot of work resolving the barrenness narrative and like looking at all of these women as being barren and in need of having their wombs opened there's a completely other goddess focused way to look at that concept and so i think that helps to resolve a lot of our feminine wounding as well as really under re-understanding that um what's launching right now is my other signature program 26 names for goddess in the hebrew bible which is as i mentioned a week by week both a intellectual, but then also somatic and sound healing practice related work with goddess across different stories and books in in the Hebrew Bible. Um, And all of this is available on my website. If you go to templeofdivineradiance.com or schoolofdivineradiance.com, either one temple or school will get you there. You can find everything there. And if people are asking, are there ways to connect in for free? Yes, there are a number of free courses and resources on my website at templeofdivineradiance.com. And um, one of them is a weekly chant group. Right now we're doing a series on the medicine of desert rhythms. And um, let's see, there's one other thing. Oh yes, the next live gathering, speaking of women's circles, will be for Rosh Chodesh or the new moon of Kislev, which is coming up this coming weekend. So this mm-hmm. Saturday, there's a gathering and that's that's also on the website along with, with the others. So mm-hmm. that's the best way to get connected. And 
Uh, people can find me on Instagram at Temple of Divine Radiance and just look for Lisa Moria, M-O-R-I-A-H, just the way you see it um, spelled here uh, or in the show notes or you know anywhere that my name is, just type that in in Facebook. I'm probably the only one you'll find with that name. So <laughs> find me that way. Uh, again, I just have to thank you so much because I deeply appreciate your work. Um, this might sound really funny, but um, I, when my son was born, uh, I don't know why this story all, all of a sudden wants to come through, but when my son was born, uh, I ordered a package of diapers and the Shema came attached to it. Just randomly. Oh, really? Oh, <laughs> yes. interesting. It must have been like an Orthodox <laughs> Jewish business. I have no, it was, it was an order from Amazon and mm-hmm. there were two that were attached mm-hmm. to it and they had, it had a barcode and everything. It was just on the diaper. And um, it was in that moment. I was like, oh, God is talking to me. <laughs> God <laughs> is moving through me and this child. And I started listening to the Shema morning and night when um, he was oh. born. And that's kind of, um, I mean, I've I've always been kind of interested in like the Essene communities and some of the, you know, the yeah. channeled stuff around Essenes. And I started a deep dive at that moment. And in one of the books, they were talking about um, just the... Um, you know, all the rituals and ceremonies that they really practiced and mm-hmm. just, uh, you know, the, the year, like <laughs> all the, the new year rituals and particularly the one I enjoyed most was, um, I'm, I'm not going to say it right, but basically like going to God and, you know, clearing our year and, and making amends or again, I'm, oh, not, yes. I'm, not, I'm not saying it right, but yeah. I, I was just thinking like, oh, how beautiful. And again, this is kind of what I think is really missing in terms Mm -hmm. of, you know, this Christianized world that we're living in. And so I want to just give deep gratitude for the ways that you're preserving this knowledge and the ways that you're actually, I think, returning us even deeper to the roots of Mm. the goddess and reminding us of these really true teachings that have been hidden in plain sight for us. So again, mm-hmm. I want to give deep gratitude for the work that you're doing. Um, because I, I feel like you're repairing a fracture that mm-hmm. has, you know, rippled through our collective consciousness and mm-hmm. through our earth all at the same time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for that. And it's funny you should use the term repair. It makes me think of this uh, Hebrew phrase, tikkun olam, meaning repair of the world. And that each of us has some kind of sacred calling to repair the world in our lifetime. And I do think that this is part, this is my little corner of tikkun olam. And I want to thank you for making this space available too, because these are not conversations that can be had everywhere. And so I really so value and appreciate your kindness and just making this available Hmm, thank you i appreciate it i so loved having you here and thank you so much for being here oh thank you for having me Hmm.